fast, then you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, in the first episode of 2022, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Happy New Year, Jordan. Happy how New Year. I'm, I'm feeling... Uh, Quote 22. <laughs> <laughs> Noticed a big change already, have you? Feeling less stressed, feeling uh, everything's going to be different in everything's 2022. Everything's coming up Jordan in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, uh, it's uh, we're still in the middle of the Ram season, so not much has changed in, in that uh, way. But uh, my goodness, Jordan, we have arrived at our first ever week 18 of the NFL season. And I, I can't believe, I know I, I know old people say this a lot, but I uh, can't believe how fast it's gone. Um, and to, to think that we're already at maybe the last for week. you, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan What's is that uh, like my God. Jordan is the uh, the the rose from Titanic meme uh, sitting sitting there. It's been eighty four years. It's been eighty four years. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I shouldn't I shouldn't generalize, but but it's gone fast uh, uh, for me. Uh, in part because of your great coverage, Jordan, makes the weeks just fly by. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank so, you. Yes. But uh, we have arrived to uh, what is a very important week 18 game uh, for the Rams, not only because it's against the 49ers, and I know a lot of Rams fans out there, eager, anxious, whatever word you want to use for that one, because um, it's a rival and because the 49ers have had the Rams number for a while now. But Real important uh, playoff implications, Jordan. The the NFC West is not yet clinched. Uh, the playoff spots are totally up for grabs. And we don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this because it can get... I'm looking at a chart right now that has about... Eh, I'm going to say about 25 different combinations on it. And I'm certainly not going to go over all 25 of them. But let's, um, let's distill it a little bit as easily if we can. The easy part is if the Rams... Uh, beat the 49ers, they clinch the NFC West, they win the NFC West, and they will certainly get uh, at least a first round home game uh, and the number two seed in the NFC. The opponent could vary still uh, very much. It could be the Saints, it could be the Eagles, it could be the 49ers again, uh, which would be very interesting, would be the first, I believe, the first playoff matchup between those two since the 1989 uh, NFC Championship. I remember that game. Uh, really well. Um, if the Rams lose to the 49ers, then you get put in the blender. And that that's the scenario that we're uh, not going to spend too much time talking about. But there, there are scenarios in which they could still win the NFC West. That's uh, uh, a little less likely, uh, but they could. Uh, they could end up as the number four seed and host the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they could end up as number three seed and and host the 49ers again. Uh, there's there's a lot of things that can go on here. Bottom line, Jordan, I, I don't know. Uh, and I want to get your opinion on this. You, you've been around these guys for a while. You know, Sean McVay. I don't think we're going to be in a situation where anybody gets rested or where you're trying to manipulate the results or anything like that. I, I get the impression, Jordan, that it's just going to be full steam ahead. Try to win this game and see where everything shakes out. Am, am I wrong on any of that? Yeah, I just think, I mean, you you first of all, I think emotionally there's more on the line than just the right seating for them. Obviously, they want to have the best seating or the most advantageous seating that they, that they can get, whether 
the, what perspective they have on that, I guess we'll find out kind of this week. You know, they might not even really want to talk about it in terms of what, what their preferences would be. Um, but I think there's also like some emotional baggage, I guess, <laughs> behind this because they just haven't beat the 49ers in forever. And they got stomped on by the 49ers last time they played them this year. And it kind of sent their November, you know, the Titans loss was bad, but this one in particular, especially to such a familiar opponent with um, NFC West implications, like it just kind of sent their, their November just spiraling. And they, it also was sort of a catalyst for them in terms of some of the things that they needed to, to call immediate attention to. Um, it was a couple, it was Odell Beckham's first game as a Ram. It was Von Miller's, I think, second game as a Ram. Um, maybe, maybe I'm not even remembering that right at this point, but it was, it very, was a long time. It was ago. a long time ago in football coverage years. Yes. Um, several thousand words later, we're sitting here and it's like, you, you know, I do think that there's some emotional weight to it where, uh, you know, they, they've gotten bluntly, they've gotten knocked around by these guys. Um, and it, the, the wounds were self-inflicted in this particular last battle, um, in terms of the turnovers early on. And then San Fran just went ball control against them. And so I think that there's also a little bit of, uh, pissed offness and, and irkedness, uh, about, this team also showcased how to beat us, uh, showed the on prime time, showed the world sort of a, a blueprint in, in how to do that. And other teams tried it. The Ravens tried it yesterday. Um, I mean, any team would try this, even if you couldn't necessarily load up heavy and, and run the ball and, and kind of go a little bit of that heavier, uh, keep the ball on the ground, quick out situation. So I think that this is something the Rams are very aware of. And, and even though they'd like the seating, I, one of the things I'm worst at in this job is uh, projecting playoff seating. So I'm really glad you have that chart, Rich. <laughs> um, and I, I looked at, I've been looking at charts all morning and I'm just kind of just staring at them, honestly, and like, well, okay. And so <laughs> I'm glad you broke it down a little bit because um, this, this, there are heavy implications. It's not just sort of if the Cardinals would have lost, it would have been a lot more clear uh, what they were do- what they were doing uh, right now, but they didn't. And so now there's there's a whole winding road of possibilities. But I do think through all of that, controlling what they can control, and we talked about this last week. That's been what's worked for them is keeping their head completely in one lane, controlling what they can control through any type of chaos, and um, just kind of trying to flood that lane. And uh, there are, I think, more emotional implications to this one. Um, perhaps one of the bigger games that these two teams have played in, in some time. Yeah, there's no question or thought in my mind that Sean McVay in a game versus Kyle Shanahan is going to hold anything back after what he's uh, been going through over the last couple of years. I think Sean wants to get that one. And I think the team wants to get it, too. And you want to take momentum uh, into the playoffs. Jordan, one question that that we had and uh, people who are asking this question probably should be subscribers to The Athletic because <laughs> they would have gotten a lot of answers over the last couple of weeks. But Cam Akers, we heard a lot about, um, obviously, he is able to return from a from a uh, transactional standpoint. Uh, he could come back on the field. He's got in some practice. The Rams, as you would expect, are being somewhat coy about this. They probably don't have the answer either exactly, but uh, there was some thought that he could come back and play against the Ravens on Sunday. That didn't end up happening, of course. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen this week, but Jordan, you've you've kind of been on this 
uh, since the beginning, since we first learned that uh, you first learned that Cam Akers might be able to return amazingly from this torn Achilles. So uh, I'm, I'm a- I guess I'm asking you to, to project a little bit, but I mean, it, reasonably, what, what do you think could happen here, whether it's this week against the 49ers or uh, the first playoff game? Yeah, one thing this situation has taught me is that, you know, I, I get our sort of year end numbers and I think we all we both get our year end numbers rich. And um, in this I mentioned this last last week, but in this market, it's been just so cool to see things explode in terms of, you know, tens of thousands of subscribers and all of that. But for me, I have a new high high water mark. And that is when I no longer am getting Cam Akers questions. <laughs> that is when I know that. The Athletic Los Angeles has enough subscribers and there may never be a limit that exists in that scenario. Yeah. Um, so just to lay this out again, because I know there were some headlines out there that that were uh, had sort of shifted the timeline, even though the timeline had not shifted. Um, but the reason why those headlines had shifted the timeline was because Sean McVay went up to the podium and Ex, you know, inserted some gamesmanship, which coaches do. Um, his Shocking. his is a little bit more like blatant, maybe than than some others. But he basically opened the possibility of Cam Akers playing against uh, against Baltimore early in the week, um, and or even I think it was either late last week or early in the week. All the days are running together, but basically that caused a stir. Here's the thing, though, guys: the timeline has never actually shifted. In October, October. When speaking with TheAthletic.com, um, Sean McVay laid out the timeline for Cam Akers' return as they understood it. And there's a couple of things that were important here. Again, that because the timeline was uh, proverbially shifted or, or you know, it wasn't – the timeline never shifted. But because it was, like, in the news right. that the timeline had shifted, um, there was also some some feedback where it's like, oh, my God, it's too soon. And, and obviously, it's a miraculous recovery and, and all of that. But the thing is, is the timeline has never changed. Anything else is gamesmanship and farcical. Like the timeline has not changed. In October, they found that if he was on track and his, you know, Reggie Scott and the sports science team and all of this, their measurements and analysis of the situation based on how Cam Akers was improving and the curve toward where he could be by this time um, and the workload that he could potentially and safely um, carry at this time, they found that, okay, you could be back on the field and an active on an active game day player who could play in a game by the playoffs. And Sean McVay said that is the expectation. If we make the playoffs, the expectation is that Cam Akers will be available for the playoffs. He'd be playing for us for the playoffs. Okay. So at the same time, also illustrated in that article, again, from October, and things have not changed since that time. Right. Um, also illustrated from that article in October was the fact that they weren't going to do it if it wasn't safe. And that's that goes into a lot of things that are behind the scenes that um, we don't have privy to. Uh, I can assure you there's been a lot of requests about this, um, but we don't have the information yet about specifically what measurements and data points constitute that safety and what measurements and data points constitute his ability to get on the field. We don't have that information, but we do have on the record the head coach of the team publicly commenting on the fact that they weren't going to do it if they ultimately found that it wasn't safe. Okay, so those two things are are truths. It's like, you know, they could it, they could put him in a dangerous situation. You hope not. You hope not. 
But the fact of the matter is you have the coach on the record publicly stating the timeline. You also have the coach on the record publicly stating that they will not do, adamantly stating they will not do it if it's not safe. So the thing that caused the sort of the stir as well was the fact that he was activated three, you know, with three games left on the schedule. And again, this wasn't even behind a paywall. This was just out there. They put I put on Twitter that like the reason they did that was so that he could receive a pension credit for this season. You have to have right. three three games on an on an active roster. You don't have to be a game day active. But you have to have three games on an active roster to qualify for a pension credit for this season, which in the long term after football is the right thing to do, especially if they have an available spot. So that sort of accelerated not only the the narrative, but also it uh, it also, I think, led to a bit of gamesmanship um, and then led to a lot of sort of questions and confusion and all of that. But um, the timeline has not changed. It stayed the same. Um, you know, there's a Sean McVay said last week again that there's a chance that he could see time this weekend uh, against San Francisco again, like you, you just the time that's that lines up with the timeline it's playoffs as close to playoffs as possible. Um, but again, you're just going to have to going to have to wait and see because <laughs> you won't know if it's gamesmanship or not. I can only tell you specifically what the timeline has been, what it is all, what it has always been. What it was always was, yeah. It, it was a weird bit of gamesmanship to me, Jordan, because I'm not really sure what what kind of dangling Cam Akers out there did for anybody. I mean, it's a little different when it's a quarterback and you can say, oh, yeah, it might be that quarterback or it might be that quarterback. I um, think it just was because they've been going in the heavier personnel. Yeah. And so I think it was – I like, I can actually understand that a little bit because they've been moving between heavy personnel and 11 personnel and in heavy personnel – Sean McVay is very public about wanting to use two back sets. So I, I can kind of understand that. But all right, that's fair. It's still gamesmanship is dumb anyway. Nobody yeah, like yeah, all yeah. the information, nobody's fooled by anything. So no, no, but, nobody's yeah. gonna um I, I do wonder though, Jordan, if if um you know, I mean, we'll see what happens in this game, but it, do, do you want to put Cam Akers out there in round one of the playoffs, um, you know, not knowing exactly what you're going to get? Or do you want to put him out there for a few plays against the 49ers just to kind of, if it's safe, of course, if if it's, you know, deemed that uh, that it's good for him to be out there? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking that. Well, one. I think we'll it see. depends on a lot of factors playing surface, what that looks like or it feels like that day, yeah. which they do measure every single time. Um, also, the fact that, if they do host a home playoff game, his first game back would be on turf, which is not friendly uh, to soft tissue. Um, and, you know, it's just I think it's really situational. And yeah. that's another thing that I would caution too for people um, is that this is going to depend on a lot of different factors outside of specifically even just his health, his health being the most important thing, but also going to depend on a, on a lot of different factors. And I think Sony Michelle has been running really well. Um, the problem is you don't have depth behind him. And then you also don't have diversity in your run game because, um, you, you can't, again, you can't mix the personnel that way. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting. Uh, Sean McVay's got got a lot to think about there. There's no question about it. But they've they've got some time. It's going to be an actual uh, normal week. I I know Sean McVay is going to be excited more than anything about the fact that it's not supposed to rain in Thousand Oaks this week. So uh, he will he will get his normal uh, week of practice. And uh, yeah, Rams put themselves in this position with a. Big 20 to 19 victory over the Ravens on Sunday. Matthew Stafford's 42nd 
game-winning drive. Wow, 42. That's that's a lot. I know. That's, uh, yeah, but uh, how, <laughs> man, I don't want to get myself in trouble here. I was going to say, how many did he put himself in position to uh, <laughs> to, to generate? But that's going to be part of what we talk about here, right? <laughs> um, interesting game, Jordan. Before, I, I don't, it, this is one of those things that, that we could accidentally forget to mention, and I don't want to accidentally forget, but I don't want to dwell on it either. But the incident that happened early in the game, let's just get it out of the way where the TV camera is captured. Uh, let's just say it what it was. It, it looked like some type of incident in the Rams huddle in which Jalen Ramsey kind of delivered some kind of open handed blow to uh, Taylor Rapp's face mask, the lower part of his helmet, certainly his head or whatever area you want to uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we don't have a lot of context here. And uh, that's the one thing people should understand. And I don't want to, you know, make this about media or anything like that. But people should also understand the locker rooms aren't open uh, this season. There's not that ability to uh, kind of talk to people that you have in, in normal situations. But Jordan, what did we hear about this? And uh, it, it, I mean, it sounded like Sean McVay was kind of trying to just do that usual kind of coaches. Let's just go forward, guys. You know, uh, but but what did what did we hear about that after the game? Yeah, it just they it was downplayed for sure. And, you know, maybe it was exactly what they said, where they were able to really just hash it out and get over it by the time the game ended. Um, neither player was made available um, by Rams PR in that scenario. So, again, like couldn't couldn't get any sort of context from either one. Um, can understand if if tensions were still high, you know, after the game and there's a win and getting back and all of that. But um Captain, team captain, uh, and second year safety Jordan Fuller was the one who was kind of up at the podium talking about it. I thought he had a really good quote about the situation where he just was like, Yeah, you know what? Because you have to keep your adrenaline going while also squashing a situation like that. Um, and there's a balance to be struck between those two things. And he, I thought, addressed that really well, talking about how you just hash it out. And it's just, you know, grown men having a conversation. Sean McVay referred to it as a, a kind of a fight between two competitors and and even, indi- you know, alluded to it being sort of a fight between brothers who um, just really wanted to win. You could tell I went back and I watched um, the replay. You couldn't see the all 22 yet. Uh, but when you saw the broadcast on the play prior, there was like some clear miscommunication between Taylor and Jalen on the play. Um, Jalen was trying to, uh, signal to Taylor about, uh, a certain something that he saw up near the line of scrimmage. Um, Taylor was making gestures back. Um, they were clearly trying to have a communication pre-snap and, um, I don't think that whatever the communication was ended up being successful. So then you see the cut to the huddle um, and there's a a bit of an altercation there. Um, And, and Sean McVay was like, you could see cuts on the broadcast, like guys in the secondary were frustrated through the rest of the series. Um, They they were showing close-ups of faces and and all of that. And it seemed like kind of a stressful situation. Now, of course I agree with Sean in that it didn't seem to affect them for the rest of the game. Um, you, you did see the secondary kind of calm and g- get into like it's, it's mode that it usually is in. Um, but you did see it just was a, it was really random and weird situation. And I think, um, you know, Sean McVeigh said that, that there were cuts on the, well, he didn't say this, that the broadcast showed cuts on the sideline of the, the guys like sitting far apart and for at least a little while, um, talking, Taylor Rapp talking to Raheem Morris, um, Jalen Ramsey talking to Jordan Fuller. Um, and then, you know, after the game, Sean McVay just said, yeah, it's something that 
they're over it. They got through it. Um, it's important to be real with each other. Um, and then he also said that uh, it was nothing compared to some of the shit that he says on the headset during the game. So now <laughs> I need to know. Now I need oh, to know that. what that yeah. is. Yeah. If, if, there, if there's anybody who knows where all the bodies are buried, it, it's the person who who works the you know when they do the mic'd up. Oh yeah. Uh, during the, the game and, and yeah they they edit out they that edit out a nice get some sweet Christmas presents I'll tell you that. Oh boy yeah yeah they they, they edited into this nice little two minute package <laughs> of like positivity and and yeah. interesting things and they probably edit out about two hours of of cussing and and screaming at each other and everything else. So, uh, yeah, the, we, we want to get the editor's cuts on on some of those things. But uh, but, yeah, I did notice one thing I noticed um, just from the game uh, broadcast was right after the defense got off the field on that series, Aaron Donald had his arm around Taylor Rapp. Of course, you can't tell what he was saying to him, but he was walking with him on the sidelines. Um, so, you know, Aaron, uh, of course, has been around enough and is a is a strong enough leader to know that that stuff has to get tamped out well, right away. Not, not to interrupt you either, but Aaron and Jalen were both the guys who calmed Kenny Young down. Remember earlier in the season, yes. I think it was Indianapolis where uh, Kenny had an outburst on the field. Um, and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey both went up to him and sort of, uh, you know, Jalen put his hands on on the sides of, of Kenny's helmet and had a quiet conversation with him. Aaron had a quiet conversation with him. Um, and it just, you know, stuff, I, I'm not, ex- I'm not excusing any of any of this. It's not really my job or position to make any opinion on it without knowing what the facts of the situation were. But also you can tell that um, there's definitely, these guys seem definitely like they're able to talk through these kinds of things and that they, they were like that at the beginning of the year and they're like that now. So as Sean McVay says, consistency is the best, (laughs) is the truest measure of performance. Yes. I have a lot of respect and appreciation for that. Um, Yeah, it's 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 something to watch. I'm not, I'm not going to make it either bigger or smaller than it needs to be. Um, it's it's not great. It's not great to see happen in, in the huddle in the middle of the field. But if, if it's a one time uh, flare up, then then that's what happens sometimes. And it does happen. Um, but anyway, interesting. Didn't want to ignore it. But I really want to spend the bulk of our time here, Jordan, I think. Um, probably talking about Matthew Stafford, if we're going to be honest about it, because you you look at other elements of the game. And, and of course, I, it, it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't note that uh, got some tweets during the game about the defense. I, again, don't know what to tell you in a 20 to 19 game in which there was a pick six. Uh, the the defense allowed uh, 12 points. So, well, the, the long drives, yeah. I, I'll say this, yeah, yeah. I, I, the long drives are bad and that it, it was clear that the Ravens were again like, oh, hell yeah, we can go ball control on them and go heavier and and keep some of those drives alive. Uh, a couple of a couple of drives, they did have some issues with Tyler Huntley um, tucking the ball and, and yeah. kind of moving the chains with his legs. Um, they had some issue. They had a, they did ha- allow one big explosive run. And I think that skewed their run numbers uh, as well. Yeah. Um, 32 but the thing run, that yeah. I think they'll take is being uh behind being minus two in the turnover differential and holding the Ravens to field goals. This was one of the best red zone teams in the league actually coming in and sure that's Lamar Jackson led team, but Tyler Huntley, I mean, I thought he played a really good game considering the circumstances and this is, you know, the Rams holding them to field goals. Um, The only touchdown they scored was the pick six. 
And the defense obviously wasn't on the field for that. And so uh, then holding to the field goals, uh, even after those really long drives, like that does, that is important. Um, I still don't understand this, the saying we, we wanted to get them to snap the ball one more time. To me, that seems bad. I, I don't understand yeah. that, but, yeah. um, but I'm probably overthinking it, but like, I, but so, you know, getting off the field on these drives is important, but, and, and again, when the team, the team, it's, it's just so clear, like they've, they've just completely demonstrated the way that teams beat them. Now, I think that the difference is obviously they, uh, Matthew Stafford contributing to the game winning drive and a couple of guys really standing up and, and then holding to field goals at the end of those, those methods. Uh, methodologies, methodological, uh, methodical. That's what, that's the word I was looking for. Yes. I need another cup of coffee. Methodical drives, those really long, you know, 12 plays, 15 plays, holding the field goals at the end of those was so huge. And it, it doesn't feel good for a defense through most of the drive, but that's sort of a sigh of relief at the end. And that's also a difference in, um, being able to overcome when a team does use, that methodology against you. You know, obviously they go down seven to zero with the, with the pick six and then Stafford throws an interception on the very next series. Uh, and the Ravens had to go 96 yards to get a touchdown and very narrowly did it. Uh, they went 15 plays all the way down to the Rams five, uh, but then they did hold and, and Baltimore had to kick a field goal that made it 10 to nothing instead of 14 to nothing, which Feels different to me. I don't know why. We talk well, about it being is down different f- by four points. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something there. I just couldn't put my finger on it. Um, but uh, to me, that ma- that makes a difference, especially when we talk about as as you often do, Jordan, that those early deficits and and what they have done to the Rams in the past. And it was still a ten point deficit, uh, which is not nothing. But they were able to uh, overcome it in part because they got their own interception by Jordan Fuller. Uh, well. In in the middle of the year or late in the second quarter, sorry, that uh, allowed it to be a, a 10-7 game. Um, anyway, it, it, it felt different. Um, so, yeah, not, certainly not, um, uh, you know, a, a perfect performance by any means. But but Matthew Stafford, Jordan, let's uh, the, the point that I was trying to get to was that we saw pretty much what we've come to expect, right? For for better or worse. It was another kind of quintessential uh, Matthew Stafford game in which he threw two early interceptions this time, one of which was, again, a pick six. Um, his fourth of the year. His fourth of the year. Wow. Um, and then we saw when the Rams needed him in the fourth quarter, he was the guy that Sean McVay traded for. He was on the last drive, which ended up being the game-winning drive, completed all six of his past attempts for 70 yards, and, of course, a touchdown. Odell Beckham Jr., outstanding um, don't know where they would have been in that game without him making a couple of those big catches. And one of them ends up being the, the game winner, 20 to 19. Um, Jordan, I, I don't know what a whole lot more we can say about this other than, than what we've said about Matthew Stafford in, in the last few weeks. But, but I wanted to read, if I could, um, something great that I, that I read last night, Sunday night. Uh, it happened to be from your column. Oh, look yeah. at that. Everything yeah. in 22 is coming up, Jordan. Yes. Except yes. for you, Rich, because you texted me last night. You said mm-hmm. you won your fantasy championship. Yes. So everything's also coming up, Rich Hammond. Yes. No, actually, <laughs> I actually texted you with, I won, Jordan. I'm so and excited. I said, and I said, won what? <laughs> yes. Really know how to really know how to boost a friend, Jordan. You really do. 
Um, but no, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I was joking, of course, but, um, but, uh, l- let me read, let me read to you just this. It's, it's a, it's a good sized paragraph here, but it's also a great paragraph. So, um, I, I want to read it in full if you will allow me to real quick. It goes, uh, and, and the framework here is, um, about Matthew Stafford and, and the trade and, um, him overcoming his own errors and that sort of thing. And Jordan writes, I can also appreciate that there's a little more nuance to the conversation than allowed on social media. McVeigh believed so thoroughly that the previous situation was untenable that he welcomed the risk, welcomed the chaos Stafford demonstrates through some of these games. If it meant that package also came with the arms, other personality, the clear multiplicity they could build into their offense with it and Stafford's calmness in crisis, even if self-inflicted, there was not another realistic upper echelon quarterback for whom to trade. And McVeigh both genuinely wanted to work with Stafford and he was not sticking with his former one. Further, unlike with Jared Goff, whose own turnovers irked his head coach to no end, McVeigh is clearly fine with Stafford's quote-unquote floor because he believes he knows how high the ceiling can go. Would we expect any other type of public comment from the guy who pushed so hard for that trade? Wow, Um, that really, to me, sums up the entire Matthew Stafford experience and the entire relationship uh, with Stafford and and Sean McVeigh in, in one very good paragraph. So first of all, uh, congratulations on on crafting such a great paragraph uh, as part of a great column, by the way. But uh, uh, to me, that really speaks to the whole thing. Um, to me, this is who Matthew Stafford is. Uh, it's it's going to happen. You're you're going to have to take the bad with the good. I'll be honest with you, Jordan. From the Rams' perspective, the thing that concerns me is they've been pulling a couple of these out against uh, teams like the Seahawks, against teams like the Ravens. Um, I don't know what happens if you do that against the Packers. I don't know what happens if you do that against a couple of the teams that you're going to potentially have to face in the playoffs. They've been been able to do this. They've been able to pull these kind of out of their hat. I do credit Matthew Stafford, and I know we talked about this last week also, with his ability to compartmentalize all of this stuff. He does not let a slow start get him down. He does not let an early mistake snowball into a terrible game. And a lot of quarterbacks do that. Uh, Jared Goff sometimes did that, uh, which I know irritated Sean McVay. Um, I just don't know. To me, it's it's still a concern, Jordan. But I think uh, I, I think based on you know what I read in your column and, and what we've come to understand, I think the Rams understand this too, and and I think they're comfortable with it, and I, I think they're still confident in what Matthew Stafford can bring. But boy, those mistakes! I can't imagine Sean McVay is. Totally thrilled. No matter what he says publicly, I can't imagine he's totally thrilled with having to deal with some of those during a game. No, I mean, you'd be insane to be okay with turnovers. I mean, you're just not as a a, even a casual football watcher, let alone one of the better minds in the NFL. Like you're just not you're not cool with turnovers. But at the same time, this is one of those things where as we welcome in 2022, And we continue a theme of this podcast, which is holding multiple truths in our heads at one time. Um, Rich is nodding emphatically. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, we we have to also hold the truths that the turnovers are bad and they're not – it's not sustainable to win football games this way. It's impressive that they did. So that's another truth, Um, especially the last two weeks in a row, this has come this way. And I will say also, I don't necessarily – 
give a walkover of the Vikings or the Ravens. The Vikings are not really a good football team right now, but it's still a tough environment. Their backs were against the wall in that game. Uh, the Ravens, really, really tough environment. And Harbaugh, I don't think, has lost five straight games, like ever, I don't think. And, and I'd have to fact check that. But really, really tough environment. And these two teams gave the Rams everything they had. And when you're getting the best a team has – because it's in a sort of desperation mode. The Rams have been in that situation a couple of times this year. Um, and so I, I will say that I do think, even though the turnovers are terrible and I hold them in as a true, I hold that as a truth in my head. I also am impressed by these two wins, which I also hold as a truth in my head. I sound like I'm in a therapy session right now. Um, but I will say that also, though, we have to consider that, you know, the Ram, it, to me, this is why I don't really get into the argument. I've seen it on Twitter all the time. I don't really get into the argument of Goff versus Stafford. I don't really get into the argument. I think, first of all, I think it's a, not a good argument. And second of all, I, I don't get into the argument of, um, you know, would they be better off with X or Y? Because there is no argument because of what the facts of the scenario are, which were out late in that paragraph. It's not just that the Rams traded for Matthew Stafford. They did their due diligence on the quarterbacks, the upper echelon quarterbacks that they felt would be available and weren't, ultimately were not, and knew, and they knew that they were not and they wouldn't be. And Matthew Stafford happens to fall into that category of upper echelon quarterback, quarterbacks that they knew would be would be available and was available. It also happened that Ma uh, Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay were able to connect in person and they really hit it off and really got along and they saw each other as peers and collaborators. So that certainly doesn't hurt. But Sean McVay was, th there, there was no moving forward in the situation that he was in. Seriously, there was no moving forward. There are people on the phone with me telling me that they're ready to open a quarterback competition with John Walford and Jared Goff if they can't <laughs> move Jared off the roster. And that's not like, I, I don't mean to say that as a, as a, a kind of a, a punch to, to Jared. I really enjoyed covering Jared. He was very nice. And I do think that it's impressive. Some of the things he's been able to do late in the season, um, a couple of the games that he's won in Detroit, the situation there is obviously in build mode handling that mentally, like, good for him. I think that's great. Um, but this was not a tenable situation moving forward. So when you're talking about even the trade capital, it's not that you're putting this pick load in for Matthew Stafford, specifically just Matthew Stafford in a vacuum. You're putting this capital in because you also, you're the head coach who is the lead on this trade, who pushed, who calls Stan Kroenke on this trade, has determined the situation that he was in to be untenable, and this is not an option moving forward, so you are paying to create the option moving forward. So that's that's what this, these are the facts of the situation and why I don't really get get into the argument because it's like, what else, were, what else was going to happen? The other thing is there's like a revision, sort of a revisionist history where, you know, this offense was not, it was regressing. And I don't think that's all on Jared. I think a lot of that does also have to do with Sean and where he kind of was at mentally last year. But this offense was regressing and it was compounded. It was solved by nearly every team in the league, even the cupcakes. Like it really was not, I mean, it was solved. And so when you have a quarterback who can, who not only has seen 
every type of defense that's ever existed really in, in the league in the last decade, which is a lot of different defenses that's existed in the league in the last decade, a lot of different coordinators, a lot of, but you also have a quarterback who has the arm multiplicity. Yes. You have chaotic Matthew Stafford. That's, that's a guy who also exists within that guy's brain and in, in that arm, but you also have the arms, other personality. And so if McVeigh has one certainty, he knows what the ceiling can be. If he has, he actually has two certainties in that he also knows what the floor can be. And with Jared, you, he, the part of the reason why this situation became untenable is because Sean McVeigh felt that he also had two certainties and that the floor was, was much lower and the ceiling would never be as high again. And that's just, again, those are just the facts of the situation. And so for me, it's like, you know, I'm not going to read, re go over and, and resurrect like all the the debates because I think we also know that the way it went down was kind of shitty and like all of that stuff. We all know that. But like, this is why he's, and, and he also pushed really hard for this trade. So this is why, you know, he's not going to go up there. He's going to explain the turnovers like he did on the pick six where he was talking about how the number two receiver was, and, and Odell actually brought this up himself, which I thought was really cool that Odell was like, yeah, I ran the wrong route on the play. Um, and, and he was talking about how the, the two receiver was supposed to draw off the hook player. That's the safety who then intercepts Matthew. You can also argue that the, that was the wrong play call on third and two. You can also argue that um, shouldn't have been throwing and, and determined to throw there in that situation on third and two. Like you can argue, you can make all those arguments and that's fine. That's also fair. It's about holding multiple things in your head at one time. Um, but the situation with Matthew Stafford is you, and this is what this group has done, is you accept the fact that you are going to get chaotic Matthew Stafford in certain phases, phases, which also does not excuse the turnovers, by the way, multiple things. Um, but you also know that you're going to get, you know, MVP caliber, league leading in EPA, Matthew Stafford. But you also get the fact that you're never not multiple. And I think that's the variable that means a lot here. You also get the fact that you are never not multiple. You also get the fact that you, your defense can never truly, or the opposing defense can never truly, quote unquote, pin their ears back against you because they don't necessarily know what's coming because you still have the entire playbook open to you, even when you are so completely compounded that because you're turning the ball over and you only have three drives with which to make things happen, there still is not a sense of, oh, they just can't, they have to rule out half the playbook. Does not make it right. Also, as we're continuing to talk about this, another thing to hold in our heads, it doesn't make it right to then just automatically rule out parts of that playbook, like the run game. But at the same time, you don't get the feeling of implosion. And I was texting with somebody yesterday, and and, and the phrase that sort of was sticking with me was, um, mud is still mud, but it's better than quicksand. <laughs> yeah. Great, great point. Wow, that's I've never heard that line before. But yeah, I, I totally understand the the context there. And uh, yeah, that was I also I, I wasn't saying someone from the Rams said that. I said that, and I don't want it to make it sound like anyone from the Rams was calling Matthew Stafford yes. mud. But yeah, this, yeah. Yes. no, no, I think everybody understands what you're saying there. But yeah, I, I, great. I don't really have anything to add to that, Jordan, other than to say that I. I believe what I have believed for a while now, maybe since even the start of the season, is that this this season is going to rise or fall on Matthew Stafford. And it, it, I 
I don't really, my opinion on that hasn't really changed. Uh, we, we can talk about the defense and the ups and downs of the defense and um, special teams. We didn't even talk about special teams on this podcast, I guess. Which is good. Nothing, they were like, yeah, nothing catastrophic actually happened yeah, uh, this week. But, nothing of but, note one way or another, which is great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's shocking, actually. Uh, but but I, I really think that that's what it's going to come down to. It's, it's going to be, you know, chaotic Matthew Stafford versus heroic Matthew Stafford and and what's going to win out there and and I do think that ultimately Sean McVay is comfortable with that he I think he understood understands uh, that that entire situation and he's he's okay with it yeah and I think um that's an interesting uh sliding scale too Rich because I I think like part of the reason why he's also okay with it is because you don't even have to veer hard into heroic Matthew Stafford in order to be successful with this group. All you need to be is consistent Matthew Stafford. You could even be slightly remember I remember telling you about this late earlier in in November where it was like if he even if he threw a pick at the end of one of those games, they probably win that game instead of lose that game. You don't even have to be completely consistent Matthew Stafford. You can still be semi consistent Matthew Stafford and this offense is capable of putting up insane numbers, leading the league in EPA per play and DVOA and pass efficiency and explosive play rate, all of these things that they have had been doing. Um, and I think that's where Sean McVay is also okay with it is like, as long as you're not darkly chaotic, Matthew Stafford, yes. who turns, <laughs> who turns the ball over, t- you know, twice in the first half, um, and, and it, you know, earlier, you know, the first and second quarter so closely together and, and you, some of these early turnovers is the problem backed up into your own territory, deep in your own territory. That's also darkly chaotic, Matthew Stafford. Like, yes. but if you can eliminate just one or two of those things, um, then you're back into that, that scale where I think Sean McVay is really okay with that because so much is still open to you. And I think it's, it's what I've been trying to explain and, uh, you know, t- you guys, you can take it for what it's worth. Uh, my One of the things I'm really, really proud of is building trust with this group uh, of uh, podcast listeners and subscribers and people who follow me on Twitter and anybody who's interested in the Rams that, you know, wants to read coverage is that, you know, I will do my best to figure out what the what the answer is, what the sentiment is, to convey what the vibe is, um, to not bullshit you, to tell you not just what things are, but also my opinion of what they are. Um, and, and again, knowing that those, those things can change as the team does. But my opinion is that f- my opinion based off of what I have felt every day over there, um, for the last, now it's, uh, you know, 300 and, and what, 40 days over there in a row, um, is that like, there is no sense of, panic when things go wrong and there is no sense of okay we we implode if this happens there's always a sense of okay let's figure it out okay we can figure it out and i think therein lies some of the difference is that there's always a sense of the ability to problem solve in real time um versus completely like i said get caught in quicksand and yeah. so I think that that is is the major difference. I don't think anybody who was a realist expected perfection from Matthew this year or this group this year. Um, I think if you even look at his history, you uh, you expected 
chaotic and sometimes darkly chaotic Matthew Stafford to, to sort of rear his head. Um, but you also held that at the same time with, with the idea that things were going to look very different and the wheels were never going to completely fall off and rattle down the road. Um, joining Greg Gaines in rolling down the hill. So (laughs) (laughs) you never really got, you you just don't get that sense. And and you also get the sense that um, this is a group that still remains pretty secure. I did laugh too, Rich, because um, remember last time we were talking about how it's a little worrisome that a group that has thrived so much in chaos the last five games, um, now what sort of chaos they, mm. they they were entering a relatively calm week despite the weather and the location change. So it was like, oh, my God, are they going to like somehow try to introduce right. their own adversity and then look what happens? And so, yes. you know, yes. I was joking about that. Don't take that seriously, guys. But yes. Um, yes. but yeah, you're like, oh, my God, it's like, you, you know, it, it's, it's right. a little con- little psychologically concerning, I think. Right, right. But uh, yeah, by the end of the first quarter, you've had a pick six and and teammates fight in the huddle. So yeah, that, was like, that's pretty uh, that's yeah. pretty good adversity. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we weren't being serious, guys. But yeah, yeah. Well, Jordan, be- before we go, um, it, it, there's 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 one thing that um, you've been all over. Also, you're all over everything. We're, we're entering uh, Except Sean McVay's. playoff scenarios. Except the playoff scenario. And fantasy football. And fantasy football. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I think we're entering uh, Sean McVay's favorite time of the year, which is the playoffs. But we're also entering his least favorite time of the year, which is the time when his assistant coaches can get poached, as we've seen happen time and time again over the last couple of years. Um, Jordan, I, kn- I know you've been all over uh, one already, Eric Henderson and a potential um, offer. I guess you could say from from Florida. Uh, quickly, what what do we know about that, and and can you kind of run us through the scenario there, and and what the Rams might be facing in general here in this quote unquote season? Yeah, I mean they're facing a lot of a lot of phone calls. I think that um, you know you have guys on the staff that are definitely going to draw attention. Eric Henderson being the first real sort of reported one, um, which is why all of this has been sort of a topic of conversation because colleges are now rebuilding their staffs and they also are throwing insane amounts of money um, at at coaches, especially coaches like Eric Henderson, who we know could recruit who we know could um, could win over a locker room, who we know could, um, you know, be a, a hell of a coach and is a hell of a coach and really well-loved by his players. Um, and I I think, you know, it's a pretty big offer. We are, our reporter out out in Florida was, was saying that it's a million-dollar offer to be the defensive line coach at Florida and a, threw in an assistant head coaching uh, title as well. And that's, that's tempting. Um, but it's it's interesting because there's he's the first sort of name to really pop out on the radar. Um, you do know that the Rams try to keep these things quiet. Um, you know, you didn't know until the day it happens about the last set of replacements that Sean McVay had and Brandon Staley two years ago wasn't even on the radar um, until the very last second. And so, you know, they try to keep these quiet. Part of that, I would assume, is uh, for leverage in the negotiation process. Um and part of that, I assume, is so that they're not getting a lot of questions about it as they prepare to enter the playoffs. But I asked Sean McVay about this um, last week, and not specifically Eric Henderson and, and that offer, um, but the fact that they're going to get calls. And he basically was like, you know what, um, it's 
it's a good problem to have. It's it's a bad problem to have. But it also, you know, he, he basically, and I'm paraphrasing, he basically was like essentially indicating that he'd come to terms with the fact that he's going to lose some coaches this year publicly. And to me, that doesn't invoke a ton of confidence in the guys who are getting calls or uh, wouldn't, in my perspective, invoke a lot of confidence in them that there would be a stout negotiation process. Like, oh, he's publicly saying like, oh, yeah, I'm going to lose some coaches and then I'm going to get some new coaches and like all this stuff. And he's very complimentary of them, obviously, but um, he sort of almost had that impression. He left an impression that he'd sort of just come to terms with it and his hands are tied. and There's nothing he can do. Well, there is there are things that this group can do. They can. um you saw some of it last year. You saw different guys get different titles, for example. That doesn't really happen without phone calls from other places interested in said parties. Um, many, multiple coaches, uh, title changes, multiple coaches receive phone calls uh, from college and NFL programs. NFL teams can now start calling um, by league rules, can now start having virtual meetings with candidates. Um, so that's also something he expected. Um, but in that way, you know, I sort of I asked him, has your has your process changed? Has your evaluation changed? And the indication that he let off is that it really hasn't in terms of that negotiation process or blocking people. You've rarely seen him block people. Um, right. You've also not seen a ton of internal promotions. You've seen outside hires. Um, and so I think that those are things that um, people are aware of. And I think that those are things that, you know, I don't know what's happening with uh, negotiations right now, whether it's just with um, one guy with a public offer or if it's several guys who have gotten phone calls that have been kept under wraps at this time. Um, but you do get the impression that um, th- at least a public impression that. Uh, he appreciates his guys, but he also feels like he can go find new guys. And I'm kind of sitting there like, well, what about the ones your players are really attached to? It did not yeah. go unrecognized by me. Part of the reason I asked Sean about it that Friday was because Aaron Donald popped up on the Zoom with Eric Henderson as a photo on his background. Um, so these are all factors to kind of pay attention to. And you're going to see how the process plays out. Um and it's it's just fascinating to me. Uh, you know, I I don't think realistically, I don't think that NFL teams are going to now be able to match what colleges are going to start offering assistance in light of NIL decision-making and then things the NCAA is gravitating towards, booster money, things like that. I don't think that you're going to see that sort of uh, – you're not really going to see that sort of bubble right now in, in the NFL. Maybe right. – a couple years down the line, you're going to see that inflation, but you, you certainly won't right now. Um, but I also, you know, in terms of, of these guys being, you know, happy in their roles and, and liking who they work with, you know, I don't necessarily think you have to, to offer some, a lot of these guys, the farm, I think you have to make certain assurances. And, and so my question is, are those being made? Um, and when yeah. your coach comes out publicly and basically is like, yeah, we're probably going to lose some people. Um, to me, that's not a very, that's not a public assurance in, in my opinion. Um, yeah. but again, that's my opinion and, um, it's going to be interesting to watch moving forward. Yeah. And it, it is big. Um, there, you do, there's a, 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 you know, the term brain drain after a while where you, you lose so many people who've helped you build your success. And look, Sean McVay has done a great job of replacing those people with other people. I mean, Eric Henderson came Their in. Their team build all- depends on it. Yeah, that's one yeah. arm of their three-armed team build. It's absolutely dependent on the ability to develop 
complementary players and to make stars better and to design around these guys, which is also something that these coaches have done. Aubrey Pleasant, um, you know, you're looking at, at, uh, at Henderson, you're looking at some of the guys on the offensive side over the years. Um, you know, you're, that's part of this ecosystem is predicated the, the, the delicacy of it is predicated on being able to specifically do that and, and have proof in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, it, it might seem like something small, but it's, it's really big as, as you know, as you know, Jordan, and it's something that we'll be tracking over the coming weeks here and um, see where it goes, see how the staff changes. Jordan, I know it'll be a great week of coverage on the athletic app and website. I know you've got, well, I know of at least one great story that you've got coming. I'm sure there's a handful as we head into the final week of the season and into the playoffs. So I uh, encourage everybody to follow along, not only with Jordan on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue, but you should really be subscribing to The Athletic if you're not already. I'm a subscriber. I don't know whether I've ever mentioned that before. I get a free subscription, but I still pay for mine. Because I would pay for Jordan's coverage, <laughs> what a com- even if what I a company wasn't, man. There you, you know, go. Even if I wasn't getting uh, getting paid by the company, so it's it's uh, for if, all your fantasy football advice from outlets that are not from uh, athletic writers that are not me. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes, but thank you, thank you, Jordan, for all your great assistance uh, throughout the season <laughs> that contributed to my uh, championship. Um, but uh, look, if you're not already an athletic subscriber, I understand. Things happen, but you really should give it a look. And what you can do today, any day, every day, is go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel. You can sign up not only for all of Jordan's great coverage, but our coverage of teams around the world. And you can get Jordan's favorite thing in the entire world, which is what? A great discount. You guys, my favorite thing in the world, a great discount. Longtime listeners of the show, you guys know. Longtime subscribers, you guys know. Uh, if you are finding us for the first time, welcome. And guess what? Anytime you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, every single time you will receive a great discount. You guys, we are wishing all of you a happy new year. Um, this is again, our first episode of the new year, many more to follow. Um, we sure have loved going on this journey with y'all and we will catch you next week.